I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we tackle a huge topic, one that is going to take us multiple discussions to cover, and it's about regulating large language models. And we start looking at the challenges of regulating these AI approaches and how governments and companies can actually approach it. And from that and untangling how these models work, we actually dive into the mechanics of what information is actually controllable and how we can do that work. Uh, and that will be a tee up for future conversations where we, we go back to that regulatory piece. Uh, so there is concrete information that is a benefit to you here as our listener um, and incentive for you to join us in future conversations as we continue to unravel it. In addition, uh, John Willis was on the panel today and he started us off with a story about APIs, Amazon, Jeff Bezos, and O'Reilly and books that I asked uh, to keep in uh, the warm up here. So you'll get a short uh, bonus story by John Willis uh, before we start. And then we'll dive into the meat of government management and control and regulation of LLMs. Enjoy. You know, I don't know if you know this, that this, uh, the reason Amazon started APIs is because Jeff Bezos went to O'Reilly, went to Bezos, or went to basically Amazon and said, we need better data for book sales. Huh. And so, so what happened was he wound up meeting with Jeff Bezos and Bezos being the inquiry, you know, the guy that sort of always wanting to learn, he's like, what is this API stuff? And that's why the, his sort of manifesto, you know, whatever that paper that Bezos wrote about, like how we need to, uh, Everything with APIs. Right. And that that literally came because um, O'Reilly, Tim O'Reilly, really just wanted to go to say, don't you guys know that you should be giving us this data this way? And Bezos was like, what is that way? And they had a sit-down meeting and he explained the whole architecture, like original SOA and all that stuff. And then Mm -hmm. Bezos was like, oh, my God. Like, we, you know, he went to probably right to what's-his-face. And then said, hey, why aren't we doing this? And that's an amazing story. I've been looking for a bridge from what you were talking about to this, but I can't find it. Um, but today the topic is um, about can governments manage large language models with, with well, some sub, sub questions here about EU's efforts to regulate what's going on in the U.S., um, when I put this in the schedule, that that whole advocacy for the AI pause thing came out, which was just I, um, so I, you know, I think it's pretty clear the genie's not going in the bottle. But I'd love to hear no, about no, no, no. what what's what's gonna what's gonna happen, right? There, the the I'll, I'll well stop. There are a couple there are a couple things because I I've, I've had to be. I'm looking at um, regulation and compliance with respect to some of the more conventional machine learning models, risk models that the financial sector and the insurance sector are using. Hmm. Okay. 
and um, the 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 hype about LLM has made it to the banks, made it to the insurance companies, and so people are asking, well, can I validate and then document in accordance with the compliance rules an LLM? And the answer is, no, not right now, you sure can't. Yeah. And um, when you when you go back and look at the EU's AI Act, there's there's some weasel words in there that um, kind of give them uh, a chance to kind of back away from the accusations of of overreach, but it does lead to kind of a I think a realistic criticism that there's some lack of clarity. Um, and one of the things that also is happening is that the UK has the, the banking sector has picked up on EU regulation about banking use of risk models and so forth. Hmm. And they're, they're, they're tweaking it. There's a, there's a pretty pretty important document um i want to say a 1-23 or you know one of these designations but but they're going they're going they're going pretty pretty crazy about that and the the uk is relaxing some of the oh. constraints that are on the e, that are in the eu's version of the of the same document um, the other thing that you should know, and it's a pretty good one, there's a pretty good and fairly realistic um, bulletin that just came out in the last week, two weeks, from the National Association of Insurance Carriers, NAIC. And that actually... Um, had a pretty realistic and pretty good approach to, all right, these are the kinds of models that we know you can and are probably using. This is how we need to kind of address validation. Here's how we should be addressing uh, documentation and compliance. And so I'm, I'm actually kind of, impressed with what the insurance industry has done. You know, one of the things I thought, like, I, I didn't go into the EU AI regulation in depth, right? But I, I saw some presentations on it, and I read sort of enough to sort of try to get my head around it. And I think they kind of did it right, right? In other words, like, if I look at it at a high level, they cover, like, you know, children, right, which is a good thing to do. Um, they cover social scoring, which is if you ever watch right. the Net, Net, Netflix series, it'll scare the hell out of you about like what the <laughs> world could look like. Uh, and then um, biometric, right? And and I think, you know, like, again, if I had to sort of loosely summarize it, I'd say like, we don't know what the heck we need to regulate yet, which that's the right answer. We don't even know what this thing is going to look like. 
Um, but we're pretty certain these are things that we should be thinking about. And, and I'll tell you one little anecdotal story is that um, I, I've been building models like a, a madman, right? Like I, I just uh, I, I can go into like the craziness of this stuff. But all along, I've been using my book to validate like hallucinations and like so building vector data stores and, and just to know like, am I getting the right data? And I know from my book whether I am or not. So when I load my book into a vector and I start asking questions about my book, I know. Like I, I can tell if I create a prompt in a certain way, I get like an answer, you know, like in, in Deming had never endorsed PDCA. So if I see PDCA show up, like I'm like, that is not <laughs> in my book. Right. Um, but um, so I've, it's, it's sort of how I've learned how to work with these things. Um, and um, in the oh, shit, this is what I get in my big mouth. I forgot why I was going down this path. Um, the, well, you were saying that you thought that they had done a pretty good job with the EU uh, EU's AI Act, and yeah, the biometrics and and the the categorization scheme that they put in place. You know, with the uh, um, what was it? There's a minimal risk, um, yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah, limited yeah. risk, high risk, unacceptable risk, and mm. you know, they oh. they the the notion that that is being put in place makes me, yeah, I, I agree that yeah, that feel has, me? that has a, that has a better feel to it. But one of the things that, that I, I don't understand from that is they kind of waffle on compliance burden. And part of that I think is a, is a backlash from uh, GDPR. Because, you know, okay. they put GDPR in place and um, they said, you know, here's what here's what's going to happen. And if you don't uh, if you're found not to be in compliance, these are the these are the fines. And the I think they were overwhelmed. They have been overwhelmed with. Uh, trying to assess whether some rather big organizations are are in compliance or not, uh, proving it out, um, meeting the letter of the GDPR with regard to individuals who request their, you know, the right of erasure and so forth. And they're they're just snowed under. They're so they're so far behind. And they have collected already or at least they've levied a, a huge amount of money as fines right but um you know there's like no end in sight so you know what do you do if you put something that like that in place you have to assume that over some reasonable amount of time you're going to put in the mechanisms to actually go through compliance and then enforcement and um, they, so you've got this compliance burden on the companies. And that, by the way, kind of falls over into the US or any other, any other company that wants to do business in Europe. So they become kind of a de facto, all right, if you, you know, you want to do business in Europe, this is what you have to deal with. So you've got the compliance burden and then they've got 
what I would say is pretty inadequate enforcement at this point. And, and it's like that I, now I remembered what I was sort of why I was sort of babbling on, which is um, there you go. The, um, so I, I, I've used my book. And then, so one of the exercises I did is I loaded my whole book into a vector data store and I sort of asked, give me a summary. Did it give me an FAQ? And it, it, it was incredibly powerful, right? I did it with Gene's book yesterday. Like it's like insane, right? Gene's new book coming out. But um, I, I did give me a summary of each chapter. And so it, it like beautifully summarized each chapter. And then it got to like, I think it was my chapter 11 or 12, which is titled Classified. And here's what it did. It basically came back and said, cannot summarize this chapter because it's classified. So there's, a, <laughs> this is goes, but this goes, there's a deeper meta here, which is that we got to be really careful right now. So yeah. like the open AI people are trying to get ahead of the curve, rightfully so. And they're putting in like these sort of gates of, and uh -huh. as we all know, a term or a phrase, which might be positive 10 or 15 years ago, might be incredibly negative now. And in 20 years from now, it might be like not thought of, right? So I think hard wiring, and I'm not saying that the regulatory controls are asking, for, well, they probably are, but but like that's sort of like, it, it, it may be necessary, but incredibly dangerous to start like putting guardrails on point in time. You know, this idea like, you know, and, and the way around it is I could have like, you know, authored the prompt and said, you know, hey, I, you know, I'd like I, I am the author of this book, please. But but the point being is there's already embedded guardrails for certain things in there, which might as models get retrained and re I like it, it's almost there's a science fictional and, and it goes back to maybe we don't understand it. And, and to the point that you were making, Rich, and I think the point maybe you were smart enough to say is, like, we don't know what this is going to look like, but we know those are three really bad things. So let, let's at least ask people to focus on this. But the minute we start getting deterministic on a, on a thing, I mean, look what's happening in six months. Like, well, if we start getting deterministic. How can you, how can you get deterministic, John? On an LLM, which Thank is you. not yeah, deterministic. Yeah, you, yeah, can, yeah. You, can, you can submit exactly the same prompt yeah, yeah. No, different to the same LLM with the same training set and even set all of the attributes to the same thing. And you can get different answers. In particular, if you, you know, change the attention, you change the, the, the temperature. And yeah. so it's not... It's not something that is, <laughs> well, but, it's certainly not idempotent, but it's really not deterministic. But I, I mean, what, what can you actually regulate in the middle of, I mean, because the models, to your point where you started, the models are not deterministic. So it's very hard for a regulator to say you have to be able to prove the, 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 the algorithm, right? So that we're, we're sort of throwing the algorithm think, proving out. Think about, think about the approach that's being taken. And right. in the US, generally, they take a risk-oriented approach to regulation. In Europe, you take a rights-oriented mm. approach that's to regulation. Interesting. So, okay. So it's a it's Actually, an important distinction. Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, sorry, I I don't know if I would say race or humanistic. Okay. Yep. 
because we're taking a, a very humanistic approach. If you look at the, I, I put the link in the chat, but if you take a look at the Canadian policy, it's based on something slightly different. It, mm-hmm. And that's the impact of the AI system. Can it hurt a child? Can it damage your credit? Can it have an impact on infrastructure? Because right. they they sort of put some guardrails around the classification of what a high impact system is. And, you know, it's built on our digital charter anyway, which a lot of countries don't have. Mm-hmm. And it's different than the GDPR in the in the EU. Um, it starts to look at things where, you know, to your point about determinism versus um, uh, tonality, and I would say classified is a word of tonality more than it is determinism, because in a regulation it could be deterministic, but in practice I could classify that document as garbage. Right. If you feed that into chat GTP, it actually comes back with a I don't understand it. Sometimes it comes back with a garbage is something that, you know, may end up in a landfill or may end up being unreusable and, you know, unrecyclable. It has different ways of interpreting it. It's the other parameters around it. So when I look at what the EU is doing, I look at it from a very. Yes, rights-based, but even beyond that, a very humanistic point of view. We want to protect, you know, do the DEI, do the rights, do the uh, what's best for everyone kind of thing. But that's what's getting them into trouble is the it's too far into the um, realm of what we don't know yet. Right. Yeah. I mean, the technology has not if evolved. You, if you ask if you and I've, I've listened to quite a few of the the interviews with some of the major authors uh, of the AI Act, as well as some of the specialty um, and almost to a person. They make the case right up front that the basis on which the EU's AI Act is formulated is based on the underpinning of the rights of an EU citizen and the and the rights of an EU company at to the degree that they in fact are put in place for exactly the reasons you're you're describing Joanne I you know I have only a you know kind of a smattering of 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 an of a sense of it the they're being very legalistic about it and they're mm-hmm. and they're and they're very much zeroing in on the rights of of any recognized individual or entity organization well you know and coincidentally mm-hmm. oh, coincidentally i was just on a phone with my good buddy john rosatowski and he but the investments unlimited book we talked about last time he was the guy who built that at PNC Bank, but now he's over at Dexcom. And he was talking about how he's moved more into the application. So Dexcom is the automated blue case monitoring system, you know, the, and uh, and I wear one, so I like I'm very familiar with the product. But he said that like one of the things they're trying, they're, like they're trying to up their game with the hospitals where they can put the Dexcom and you get in a hospital and and they it's all this is like tough FDA regulation, like really hard stuff. And he said that 
You said, actually, it was funny because we were just talking about this topic about EU. And you said that all the EU sort of regulatory controls are very much built on sort of rights. And so um, so they yeah. actually, from what they need to sort of, in the U.S., like hospitals don't like that. Over there, they're, because first off, you got different countries, right? it's part of EU, so like hospitals, starting hospitals, right? There's a lot of really clear regulatory control, apparently, in, in, uh, in healthcare in, um, in Europe. And because there's sort of that, you know, like if you've ever sort of studied a little about the history of post-war, right? Like the, after World War II, there was just, you know, this sort of sense of like human rights, rightfully so, right? And, and uh, but like you were saying in here, we, we don't really have that sort of codification or like, so they're going to use all their sort of regulatory controls as sort of the blueprint for how they're going to propose the FDA to do this. But it was funny because that was the exact conversation we're having about like how the, um, the mental models over there for, uh, for um, our like very right space, so interesting. Absolutely. So if you go to the other side of it and kind of look at what has been the case in the U.S., particularly, the most the most work has been done on the validation of risk models that have been used in banking other parts of the financial sector and insurance. And basically they are a good deal more deterministic and the issues that they take up are bias as a big one Um, and um, the other one is, is basically fact uh, fact and fact checking. The the notion here that um, you have a, a complete and an accurate picture of, for example, the individual or the company that's asking for a loan, for a mortgage, for what have you, and the risk model that's being applied. If the model is not attending to certain fact that is supposed to be there and documented, then it gets, you know, the the regulation, you know, the compliance auditors will come in and, and stomp on you. And the banks, the big banks now are using risk models um, extensively. And some of the some of the larger banks have as many as, you know, 900 a thousand different risk models that they apply on a regular basis. And each of those risk models is kind of purpose built for the bank. So they have to meet the compliance regulations and the compliance regulations, by the way, come from a variety of different organizations. So it's not just one. And they've got to a build that so that it, it, passes compliance and does gets validated and the validation also has to be documented in accordance with all of the organizations that have specified the 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 risk model um compliance rules it is incredibly it's a it's a serious burden and and it should be they should be burdened with it but it's expensive as hell. 
would would that potentially tip the balance on some of these a usages right usages of the AI models that that one of the things we're in is the externalities of these AI models are not particularly well considered. I'm thinking about the actor strike at the moment where yeah. like they can scan and scan an actor. The back, the background actors are really worried about this. They scan a background actor and then they use that actor as a, as you know, without, without their consent, without their permission. It's functionally, you know, I, I would almost consider that, an, a, you know, um, an ungoverned use and what you're describing uh, to me is so, it's right. You could, you could add in all of these, like, wait a second, if you're going to use it like this, you have to so, like yeah. figure out the license. You have to figure out uh, the permission. That's, a, that, that's going to yeah. end up being a question of ownership. A lot of you but, own, but, yeah. but you know, what's going to happen. I, I've thought a little bit about this. And so I think that a possible play out of this is, because the with the Sarah Silverson, like that's going to be probably the Supreme Court case will probably be Sarah, because right? she's basically saying that um, younger Canadians are using ChatGPT now, and and they're basically creating jokes. And so, to me, you know, I think one play out, if I had to think this through, is that the um, the um, maintainers of the LLMs, the, the foundational LLMs, right? Because it's going to be very difficult to do with like all this sort of. Uh, Vector and all these sort of fine tuning and retrieval, yeah, RAG, right, exactly. Um, but but I think probably what will happen is there'll be a lawsuit, and probably one of the compromises is they're going to have to track the sort of personality. Because I think here's the thing: like if I just said, "Tell me a bunch of great," I mean, the lawsuit of saying that like everything that's been scraped by the internet. Like it's sort of like trying to stop Uber from like the Austin airport, right? Like, yeah, how well did that go in the long term, right? Like, so I think this idea of like saying that like you took everything in the internet includes you know millions and maybe billions of people, and therefore it's illegal. Okay, show me an example. But the example when you go in and you say, I am, you know, write me jokes in the form of Sarah Silverman, and then it gets jokes. I, or I say, write me, write oh. me a, a book, in, you know, in the form of, you know, any of those in the style, in the style yeah, of John Willis. Right? I, I have a feeling that like there there could be sort of in the way I would think it through is the litigation would come. It's, you know, it's like Dan North had this. I was just talking to John uh, about regulatory control of this for sort of hospitals and banks compared in in just general regulatory control, but not, not even AI, but like Dan North, like, I don't know if you like, he basically invented XP, right? Like I wanted to invent his XP and mm. he had this presentation where he shows a picture, it has a sign in um, a subway station says no balloons allowed. And then he says like, what was the event that created <laughs> the, 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 the massacre balloon of like 47 or, you know, like, and like, <laughs> And and so I, I think there'll there'll be a pinning on this like some, maybe even the Sarah Sylvan like like and and something to the fact that mm. like maybe it will be uh, mandatory for maintainers of large financial LMs to like when like right now they keep thirty days of prompts right for very similar like they're they're monitoring like they won't learn on API data right but they will they keep thirty days of prompts if, and I, if you tell them you don't want to learn on it. You have yeah. to tell them. Is that 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 is in um you have to opt out. Open open it, it, AI. Open AI. It, if you use their APIs, 
and tell them I do not want history kept. Okay, because they only, will not. Originally, only Azure had that, but you're saying it's now been added to OpenAI. Somebody else told me that too. Well, good. That's good to know. But the point is that um, you know, I think maybe the some form of litigation will be the compromise. Will they'll keep logs of like so, like if if um, you know, I, it, it seems very sort of Orwellian, but if, like I, it, I don't know. If we you were know. if we were talking about a more conventional data source database data sets, we'd be we'd be starting to talk about and we probably should be talking about data provenance. Where did it come from? What's its history? What's its lineage? And going forward, can you not watermark, but can you can you create a means by by for looking at dependencies? If we were talking about software, John, we yeah, would be yeah, we would be we would be yeah. talking but about software dependencies. But we're talking about like probably, and I, I'm like I'm not going to do the math, but at least two, maybe three, maybe five orders of magnitude of data, right? Like, and oh, yeah. or complexity. So I think the it's, providence thing, the, the the train has left the station, right? If we've already got last ten years of everything that's happened, that it has no providence. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't I'm know. Sad, I mean, but I agree with you. Yes. There's it's going to be very spotty. The question then becomes, all right, from this point forward, downstream, what do you do? But yeah. in order to to provide provenance and but, provide but is, accountability. But here's here in lies the problem. And I've been thinking a lot about this problem too, because mm -hmm. I literally am trying to build, I told you this, me and we had a talk a couple of weeks ago, me and Rich, and I'm trying to build for Alan like a, a whole, like how do I take all Alan's data and turn it into sort of a, a fine-tuned subset of Alan and so you can sort of ask devops.com and textron mm -hmm. and all of his properties to like make it useful. Well, I started prototyping the first thing I feel I like the biggest mess, and we talked about this is metadata. Metadata is a nightmare in the traditional vector database tools because... Horrible. Be, because, Horrible. yeah, because the problem is like if I just want to create an object about like one particular thing, like an incident or something like that, right? Then I can pack the hell out of it um, with with um, like with labels and all this stuff, and, and mm -hmm. it works. But like, what if I want to have like a hundred incidents or a thousand incidents, or what if I want to have like every article that's been written over the last five years about DevOps? The metadata it becomes absolutely useless at that point because even if I'm loading in, how do I? Because it's similarity search, so like it's not looking. We we tend to think that this data is you know our minds are so trained that we think everything is sort of hierarchical or or it's uh, relational or it's index based right those are the sort of three ways we've been playing with data for ever and, and it is not is it, not it's, it, it's similarity yeah. so you're like trying to do a square peg in a round hole to try to think that way um, well, and 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 so I think like I'm not sure. Like if you sort of mandate that you've got to change the way the power of this technology, and I know we all know this. I I, I was I'm being a review in Gene's book, right? And it's with Steven Spear, and it's like all these like academic recesses or books that I've never heard of. And I, I find now it is so awesome because I can just put in the title of the book in ChatGPT and say, give me a summary of it. And if it pins something that's relatively interesting, or I can ask the next question, what's the relevance of this compared to what some paragraph that's in Gene's book, 
And then if it says something like, this is a design technique used industrialization for complex systems, I can say, can you expand on that, right? The, the fact that it can do that is absolutely mind-blowing. And, but the, <laughs> the, 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 um, and I hope I never have to learn the math to figure out how it does that. But the, 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 the main point is, it's because it has this incredible graph of similarities you know, say it in layman's terms. And mm-hmm. and that just that just like like literally just negates the idea of um well, of embedding, in my opinion, you can do like you know, pinecone has this super filtering, but like it's still filtering on the similarities. Okay. Now I will say I've been right. playing with Mongo and they do they do an interesting thing where they keep the metadata in the Mongo object. So they're I think they're yeah. like I don't know, I, we have to well, go into that, but <laughs> To a certain extent, what you're describing is the former OLAP orb world coming yeah, back. Right. And and the need for parallelism is even stronger now than it was then. I agree. Because but you're not to do that synthesis, you're never gonna I mean it's almost like and I have a conversation with Tyler scheduled for tomorrow because of his sort of appropriation of lean digital to lean data. Um, I'm actually thinking about the idea of a super meta set. Yeah, this is that this would is be Mongo solved this problem. Like, yeah, they, they, like because what they do is they, I tried to solve this probably every possible way with Pinecone and all the tools, and it just it, like it didn't make sense because if you put the metadata in the embeddings on the vector. You lose that, like what it is in the first place with similarity, yeah. or like it, it gets it gets watered down. But what Mondo has done, which is I think incredible, is uh, and what they found. They told me this. They found out that what people were doing is they were building Mongo index object objects and index of the metadata and coupling right. that with um, Pinecone. Well, so yeah. when they wrote their vector database, the way it works out of the box right now is. You have a Mongo object for whatever you're wanting to keep. You keep all the metadata in the Mongo attributes, and one of the attributes is the embeddings. So what yeah. you do is now you can search it's through the point, all it's the, the metadata. It's the pointer to the embeddings, right? Right. And then you, depending on your search, you can say, like, give me all the articles written by John on DevOps, and then you get back all the embeddings for those. Yeah. So you're coming closer perfect. to a semi-structured approach. Yeah, and I think they use and you're using and you're using the embeddings as a form of weights. Right. Oh, yeah. But but at least you're. I mean, it's all about correlation. Right? Like at the end of the day, the LLMs are like like we said, they're not deterministic. They're like, what's yeah. the most probable answer to this? And uh, and so and, yeah, I and by the way, there are, you know. That there are there are folks who are a little critical of what Mongo has done and what Elasticsearch has done with regard to this, because why, why? they do. And and what they're saying is that um, they have not really built a hybrid, but rather they have limited the kinds of um proximity search that can be done to only one kind as opposed to 
you know, right. what some right. of these other folks have, you know, with cosine similarity well, of course, and, of course and, all those and non-Euclidean surfaces. Yeah, and, but no, but it is. Oh, my because God. The minute, the minute you put it in the vector store, right? like, here's the thing, right? Like, the vector's vectorized, like, all that's bullshit, right? But but the, I can easily see the pine cones, like, making that defense of, like, oh. But, like, two points there. One, it's because I thought about this. What's to stop you? Let's say I'm going to take um, 10 books, right? What's to stop me from creating each book as a Mongo object, very detailed meta, and then take all the books and combine them in another Mongo object? So the embeddings is basically the superset, and I have minimum meta there. And then, yeah. um, you know, no, there's, and, there's, and so, that, so that now makes, I've got, now I can that, sort of that makes change. Perfect through, sense. Yeah, yeah, I can makes change through sense. the, I get all the best of that world, and, you know, and it just, you know, I mean, I will. You didn't really hear this to me, and it's but not you're superficial. you're you are you are creating a form of. But but you're doing I won't, that with I won't say I won't say bias, but it's a it's a you but, you're making a specific cut, and this is why. But Rich, aren't you doing using, that with No, I'm 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 agreeing with you, John. Okay, yeah, no, I'm the not trying to argue. Like I'm passionate about this, so it sounds like I, I'm arguing, but I'm not. I here. am as well. But isn't that what a vector data store basically is doing anyway? It should be, and it's most apparent and most useful when you're doing one of these things like what you're doing for Alan, which is creating a purpose-built collection of, of data, a corpus, that is going to be used for a specific purpose. You're, you're overlaying these kinds of taxonomies and meta, peta, you know, Metadata, metadata, whatever you want to call it, you know, on top of it. I, I no, I, I buy it, and it's probably the most reasonable way to use this technology. And by the way, probably the most useful way of inspecting it for compliance and uh, over time, because it's closer to something that is a deterministic, and it is. Uh, it's navigable. Right, you can right, probably right. find more easily the kinds of biases well, and, and that you they're looking that you'd be looking for. And we had this discussion because, like, the way I want to think about this is how do I solve the incident model problem with NLM, right? And like, I'm not going to be able to just say throw all incidents that ever existed and then magically tell me what happened last Thursday on, a, um, you know. Um, yeah. You know, like so, I'm gonna need some interface to Meta or some 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 you mm-hmm. know, implementation. Yeah. So yeah, you know, yes. I, and again, that's why I, I sort of like what Mongo is doing. So and, and so and, these are these are hybrids, and and yeah, that's a good the, point. The, and the hybrids, mm-hmm. the the nature, the fact that they're hybrids probably leaves us closer to something that is. Amenable to compliance, amenable to rules, amenable to documentation and validation. So for the near term, if you're going to use it in something that has a, you know, that in the U.S. implies some level, the the appropriate level of risk, that's most likely going to be the the kind of the, the design pattern. Well, we're going to find. And, and I think you're right. Design patterns is the right word because, like, I think, you know, I look at like some of the people I've talked to who have just taken their product documentation and turned it into LM. Like, I don't think you need, you don't need metadata for that. Like, just the structure of the documentation leads itself to the similarity 
which, you know, you get, you, you know, like you get very powerful answers like, you know, what is the CLI for and how do I use mm-hmm. the flag to turn on logging? Like, I don't really have to train it in most cases if I just take the document that is the, the, the product doc, you know, like the, the product documentation or the product reference guide. Mm-hmm. Because that's a simple in actuality, you're creating bias with that. Sorry to interrupt. I didn't. Yeah, no, no, no. It is. It is. Here's two thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number one, what you're, what the two of you, Rich and John, are describing is my envisioning of the small language model. Okay, very purposefully built, very specific, and geared around the context of the purpose, which is different from the relationships or the sensitivities around. Yeah. A la Mongo. And the second point that I was going to make is with respect to that, the provenance, the lineage, the validation, and the training, with the exception of what you were just mentioning about the documentation, which is based on English language only mm-hmm. structuring what's acceptable as English language. And that in itself creates the bias. That's where you really, really careful. Right. And and so, but there are points that you want bias. But, you know, I mean, like you do know this, right? Like the, like the, one of the canonical sources I've been using in my training material is the Wikipedia, the Hungry Face Wikipedia. So like, and just for Mm -hmm. example, they'll load up like by default in Italian and English. Right. So like, that's a, a solvable problem, but you're right about the bias. But then the question is like, do I want the bias in certain cases that form yeah. of bias? And I think in the case of documentation, I do. Yeah. And, right? and well, by I the way, it, hold the, on, let me hear Joanne's answer. Sorry. Okay. So uh, you don't necessarily Sorry, want the bias and here's why. If you look at a document and, and I've done this enough times now that I have a fair confidence in what I'm saying. If you look at documentation from software, versus the FAQ, and you only use the documentation, you are missing so much of the nuance of the FAQ and the practicality of it that you don't actually want that bias. Right. but uh, yeah, Because I mean, it's so, very restrictive. Yeah, and software, I think, is a little more sort of nuanced than, than documentation, but like I get your point, right? I mean, sort of yeah. software that that whole engine blows my mind anyway. The fact that it can somehow figure out how to pick me out a, a nested JSON, four level nested JSON algorithm, turn it into two errors <laughs> in one statement. And, um, but, but I think documentation, but I think your point definitely is that there, there is this use bias, like some of the vendors, some like PagerDuty, like was part of some people there, right? Like, so they're going to do this, like, this is where chaining becomes interesting, right? Yes. Um, you know, where you sort of like say, okay, um, I have this sort of problem. Okay, tell me potential paths for solving this problem. Okay, and, and if the model's smart enough, then it goes into the product documentation and says, you know, what are the sort of run deck or functions that you can use to solve this problem? And then, you know, they create the sort of pathology of that. So, but but yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question of, I mean, that, Bias, like, is this really interesting, like, almost a book that somebody could write about, like, because the truth of the matter is, even like the GPT-4 is biased of how sure. it's trained, but, but it's like less biased than like, 
you know, me subsetting um, a particular set of Wikipedia, you know, items and, and training sort of the vector database a very specific way, right? Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting thought because I know someone who proposed the idea of running Wikipedia through GTP or BART hmm. or something. Well, they have that. That, they see, have that. Well, so what they all the lot almost the, the sort of the hello world of using Lane Chain right. is right. taking uh, uh, the Hugging Face Wikipedia. It's a big old JSON object, and it, yeah. it basically teach, teaches you how to use Pinecone and Chrome DB. Hmm. So, yeah. in a sense, all the sort of sample code is out for that right now. Right. Well, okay. The rest of the thought was they're looking oh, for specific oh. types of bias in it like could you oh, ascertain oh. whether it was a male or a female who made the entry yeah. without looking at the name like really anonymize the wikipedia and look from a point of view of is it a linear thought process is it a geometric or network effect type process that's being used as mm. the text has been created what is the point of view is really how do I really learn, trying to get to, how do I learn to more see. about that? Is there a good place for me? Because that's something. So the, the out of the box GPT stuff is stuff like name entity recognition, similarity, right. and, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and what do they call it? It's like tone or whatever they call it. But, uh, um, but I would love to figure out, because I, I need to go much deeper on the existing models with what you just said, because what I want to figure out is in an incident war room, who the network person is. So like, I don't have to identify it ever again in that conversation or the intent. And like, so I think there's enough power in the sort of the basics, but I, to your point, anything that's literature that's out there that melts well with the open AI stuff, I'd love to sort of get a point or two if you, so. Sure. I'll put it on my to-do list because I'm pretty sure, aside from the individual that I spoke to, and he is just going down a road um, as an AI company, whether it's worth doing or not, and could be monetized. But um, I can check through ResearchGate and my that'd be, oh, that'd be awesome. That'd yeah, be awesome. part of the part of the issue, of course, is going in for Wikipedia specifically is the articles are, as you point out, written by one or a small group, but they go through an editorial process that brings in lots of other people, including senior editors who have been accused very often of introducing yes. bias into the articles. Mm -hmm. So it, you, it's more complex than even <laughs> what you what you laid out. It's not yeah. just authorship. It's editorial. It's all of those other other parts of it. And I think it, it's to your point, bias is going to be introduced and you biasing it just by saying here's the purpose for which i'm collecting this and 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 organizing this this you know corpus of of information what you have is a separation of concerns where the corpus of of data of information that is relevant is is sequestered and what you're probably going to find is you're going to be using the the large language the models the the foundation models mostly for their expertise in nl in natural language understanding for example that 
John chapter 11 is is not classified in accordance with some government classification. It's about the process of classification and the functionality and getting those kinds of nuances of language applied. And that's what you use the foundational well, that's you know, that's, they, you know, it was too late to change, but I had asked the, my uh, my uh, editor if we could just change the S's to dollar signs because you know, I think you know you need to think about that in your artifacts now when you're building yeah. artifacts. Yes. This is a big conversation about like how is emojis. Your artifacts you yeah, but like emojis. I was like I was like, can we get those turned to dollar signs? You know, because then at least I know there's like one there's one less dragon out there for my works in the future, right? Like, so, yeah. But, yeah. Folks, I got to jump. Yeah, I, I put this that, I, great. I I put a part two in because we we didn't get into the controls side of this and the regulatory side that I was hoping to. So we'll try. I, I always I, love where the conversation goes, but there's. I, I put the link if you guys search. So this is the copy you can get right now. Oh, good. Um, of the book, um, and then I will send uh, an email out um, probably Tuesday when it's published. If you guys want to get uh, a free copy, and and Joanne, I definitely. Um, if I just pop my calendar in here right now, would you sort of grab some? I, I want because I, I I'm fascinated by industrial engineering and all that, and I that's not my background. And Deming has forced me to, to learn so much about that space. I would just love to have a conversation about you, about your thoughts, and absolutely. All, all right, let me put my calendar in there right now, and just anytime that's free, I would love to. I think you would have a fascinating background that I would really enjoy talking to you about. But not that rich and. Uh, Rob aren't fascinating <laughs> in our own ways I understand. In, in lots of ways Rich and Rob so <laughs> our, our conversation two weeks ago was amazing so uh, yeah okay I'm glad right. you came thanks, in back. thanks Rob for next week. This, this, thanks Rob for running this is awesome of course really I love fun. the conversations yeah, so it is great. thanks it is great. all right cocktail next week Wow. I knew when we started the conversation that this was a big topic. Um, there is so much to cover in how we can regulate, but we're not even sure what we can regulate at this point. So a fantastic and powerful conversation. Please come in and join us. We are going to be dissecting and discussing this topic in the unique way that Cloud 2030 does over the next several months. Uh, and we would love to have you be part of the conversation. You can find out our schedule and our topic list at the 2030.cloud. Uh, come in, join us on these Thursday morning conversations. Love to hear your point of view. And thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.